Welcome to the Business Chef Podcast, where we learn from the best about the business side of the food service industry. Do you make food? Then let us help you make money doing it. Want to connect with us? Check us out at Make Food Make Money on Instagram or Facebook. Or email us, info at businesschef.org. Hello and welcome back to the Business Chef Podcast. I'm your host, Chef Sean Boucher, and today we are talking to Mr. Lee Bagley, who is someone very close to me, someone I've worked with for a number of years, who really knows his stuff when it comes to equipment manufacturing, to equipment repping, to dealers, to selling equipment and designing kitchens and all sorts of things. He's got quite the background. His family has been in the restaurant business for decades. He has been in the restaurant business for decades. He loves it. He's passionate about it. He's very good at what he does. And he is building one heck of a platform, a Kitchens of the Future platform to kind of get us caught up with what's going on over in Europe. So without further ado, let's dive in and talk to Lee. And as a heads up, this was done in Lee's office where the sound isn't the best, but the information is phenomenal. I have been in this crazy food service business my entire career. My grandfather had an ice manufacturing company. This is prior to ice makers being in every facility. And so he had bulk ice trucks that he would buy from a company called Hygia Ice in Sugar House. And they made both big frozen block ice that was used early, early on in refrigerated boxes. That was a format going way back to when we would cut ice out of lakes and that would keep food cold in the early part of our uh, American heritage. And they made uh, tube ice, cube, or not cube, but tube ice that you would put in a soda or use for coolers or ice boxes or things like that. So he created a business where he would run around supplying bars and restaurants and things of that nature with their bulk ice. He carried a bag, about a hundred pound bag, leather bag, on his back and you would go to the side of the truck and you would slide the door open and the ice would come out and into the bag and you would carry it into the restaurant. So the man was very fit, I can tell you that. He subsequently, when I was probably maybe my youngest age at 12 years old, opened his own ice manufacturing facility. And my father, who has the gift of uh, technical ability that I did not get, helped him to build that ice plant and helped really forward Coca-Cola from the days of uh, uh, pre-mix soda to post-mix soda, and that's when you've seen those five-gallon buckets of oh, yeah. like soda that people use for beer now for you know, home brewing and things. That was when Coca-Cola really became prevalent. So my dad started doing carbonation systems for that, and that required carbon uh, uh, dioxide, CO2. And so they integrated that into, it was so it became Bagley Ice and Carbonic. And oh, so okay. my dad took on the technical part of that, um, and so I started working while I was going to school for my dad. Uh, they started a company called Bainco, and what they did was distribute and dealer, a dealer uh, uh, variable. So they were a distributor and dealer under one roof, selling ice makers, selling Henny Penny, uh, selling two or three other brands, and then putting in restaurants. And I started working with a guy by the name of Michael Joint, who was a designer 
he was on their team, and he taught me about designing restaurants. So I was probably 16 at the time and was very interested in that. Went to the uh, community college, uh, got certified in AutoCAD training, and those that use AutoCAD now would joke and laugh at what it was. It was a digitizer and a stylus. It was a big, like almost like a clipboard, and you would put a template of different symbols on that, and you would take a light pen and you would select that to make your design consideration. So I learned to do design by hand and then using Auto AutoCAD. Well, decided and subsequently decided I want to be a chef. I was very interested, I'd always been very interested in food. Um, and had pursued that at the CIA in New York, was very near making that happen. My now ex-wife and I, we went one direction and it took me back another and I did not follow that dream. Um, and was recruited to work at Cisco Food Service. Actually, no, I'm, I'm missing a step there. I worked for a representative group out of uh, Denver as a young man. And I was there, he, the, the man who had the company was a really dynamic uh, guy, he taught me. So I took my design, my background of being in and out of restaurants, and then he was doing the rep world. You know, what a factory rep is in the context of the scheme of things, we're at the very least a middle person. And we support the people, the dealers who supply restaurateurs. So if a chef is putting in a restaurant, they're going to work with a dealer, whether it's an online dealer or a brick and mortar dealer, it doesn't matter. They're the resellers of the goods for the manufacturers. A rep is an intermediary and a rep is an expert at a segment of that uh, dealer's world, right? A dealer supplies everything from the doormats to the chemical and in some cases food and other things into, into restaurants. So the rep world, what we do is we support that segment. Well, the man I worked for out of Denver was tremendous. He, he taught me about building custom uh, chef tables and things of that nature and how to build the pricing and, and, and a lot of those functions that are really critical in a kitchen that you take for granted. You know, you walk into a kitchen and all these beautiful custom things that make this orchestra work don't just happen, you know, with a, a wave of a wand. There was a partner that I worked for here in uh, Salt Lake City, and as a young man, as I was going through a divorce, I found out, I was told I owned a portion of the company, found out I didn't, so I made an election to move out of that. At that point, my career went to work for Cisco Intermountain in a sales management role. Tremendous experience. I learned a lot about corporate America at that point, um, and how to try and encourage salespeople, especially to sell something in the equipment world that's not in their comfort level how to help them understand the questions to ask and the things to do. Um, but still was missing what I had learned as a rep. I, I really like the dynamic of being a rep because I'm, I'm, I'm able to be in a different kitchen in a different context almost every day, but having a focal point in the industry, working for manufacturers or being the face of a manufacturing entity in that said market. So there was another gentleman, Terry Brown, who was another very dynamic man that um, he had approached me to go to work for him and having worked for his competition at the time, Jerry Reinhardt and Dendrite, I was smart enough to not make that decision. We incorporated and started Intermountain Food Equipment in 1996, I think 1996, and um, opened a rep agency here covering Utah and Idaho 
And Terry had a number of different manufacturers, and so we started with that. We started as a distributor, like I had learned early on in my career with my dad. So we were uh, distributing ice makers, or not, I'm sorry, not ice makers. We were distributing Imperial Range. So we had fryers and convection ovens and stoves and things of that nature, continental refrigerator. So we had all these commodity products we were stocking, which was great. My dad owned the building that we're in currently where we're doing this uh, podcast and the one adjacent to it. The back of that building was filled with inventory. And having worked at Cisco, I became a natural peripheral warehouse for them, and everything was terrific. Well, 9-11 occurred. While we were at NAFM, no less, uh, which is the North American Food Equipment Manufacturer Association, it was in Orlando, and uh, 9-11 occurred as we all watched in horror uh, uh, and all got stuck there uh, in Florida. And subsequently, Utah had been granted the uh, Winter Olympics in 2002. Well, the way things are definitively learned, the way things work, the big East Coast companies, a lot of the big companies control a lot of the interests in our, you know, just big business controls a lot of what goes on. So big business came in and opened all the venues in uh, Utah for the Winter Olympics. And when that closed, there was, a, I don't even know how many millions of dollars of equipment that got dumped into this market. So you had two really serious uh, things that occurred in our market here in Utah specifically. Well, I was a young sales guy, not a business guy at, the, at that point in my career and didn't really know to adjust and what was going on and people were going out of business. Our dealer partners were going out of business and leaving me hanging for, you know, twenty, thirty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 that I owed somebody else for. They had taken goods and anyway, long story short, I sat down with a gentleman, my, my insurance broker's uh, dad um, and Joel's dad used to be a controller for Intermountain Food Service. This was a company that Cisco in turn bought, became Cisco Intermountain, right? And my wife, who was my partner currently, and I went and we didn't know what to do. I mean, we're, we were really upside down, a lot of money. We were in a bad way, had to lay everybody off. We did, you know, we were living on credit cards. Tough time, right? And we basically, he, he Mr. Mills said, look, what I would recommend is Take what you have here, key in on the on a core, you know, core fundamental of what you're doing. And I don't know what that is, Lee, but you do. And and you know, use the tools that you've got, figure out how to differentiate yourself as a rep and make business. When we started Intermountain, because we were a peripheral warehouse for Cisco and we were selling brands that were not tied into, let's say, the big normal brands that a lot of people buy it created a lot of conflict in the market and so we didn't have a lot of partners really at that time and we were kind of forcing sales on dealers as a rep we don't sell direct to be very clear that the normal channel goes from the manufacturer builds the goods to a dealer who in turn again resells those goods to a restaurateur and then the restaurateur you know opens and does their business and or hospital or wherever people eat uh, there's food service equipment and by not selling direct and being reliant on a party to sell product for us, if you're on the out of that, you're in a tough position. So we had to innovate. So I listened to Mr. Mills and, and um, we decided to key in on doing demonstrations. Now the gentleman I had worked for, Jerry Reinhardt out of uh, uh, Denver, I had learned early on how to do a demo in a Cleveland steamer by baking a cake in a steamer and things. And we, we were doing demos at that time. Of the long since past mountain fuel 
Uh, it's not even, not even called that anymore. Uh, demo location over by towards the airport. Had a great little demo kitchen there. And we would bring salespeople there and teach them about these products. So I utilized the resources that I had, um, and that is my family builds commercial kitchens. That's their their business, and again, I didn't get that gift from my dad, so I had to figure a different way to make a career. And I had them help me, and friends help me, and a lot of associates help me build um, this building that we're in currently um, in downtown Salt Lake as our first demo kitchen. We were lucky early on to understand the value of technology in kitchens. You know, if you look at what's happened in a lot of commercial kitchens, not a lot has changed for many, many years. A convection oven was a, a big thing, and it really didn't go much beyond that for 30 years. I mean, in, in truth of technology, it's great to see technology really is making a major inroad in many, many ways in commercial food service now. But so we decided to really key in on our core competencies, that being rationale cooking systems and they built a combi oven and at that time nobody even knew what a combi oven was when you were a trained chef going to school that wasn't in your in your repertoire correct no so so now it is in every culinary school in in, in america and probably most of the world there's a rationale or some type of combi oven in it because it's a core fundamental of kitchens we were lucky to learn about a company called turbo chef and they were they were innovating this new technology called rapid cook platforms and it didn't need to go under a hood and we we were at that time selling hoods so we knew exactly how much it cost for a hood to be you know to be sold through a dealer my family being in the installation component of that suddenly we're looking at you know fifty sixty thousand dollars just to have a cook line if we could create solutions where i had a smaller footprint more energy efficient in some cases i didn't need a ventilation system suddenly we had something to to talk about and we had the great fortune of working with people like you and Chad Garner and different professionals in this market as we were developing this concept and we started to brand it the kitchens of the future even though it's not if you go to Europe and other areas of the country it's how they do things but in America it is I mean because we have done things very much the same way for many many years so so here we are now we're we're, we're keyed in on uh, those those key manufacturers rationale Irinox, uh turbo chef cook tech these technology oriented companies among other things but that's the core fundamental of how we've grown our company we've opened a place in denver and are doing the same thing in that market and soon hope to do the same in, in boise idaho um, so that we can kind of work the the chef support mechanism in the rocky mountains so as a rep Again, our, our goal is to support the dealer, and because we were not really early, early on dealer-oriented, we were fortunate enough to build relationships with lots and lots of chefs. So now they're coming to us, and we're able to, to share with them the other brands that we represent and help our dealer partners, who are really, really critical in our success, to uh, understand that if they, they, they specify or create an opportunity for us to sell a product with them, that will support it. We support it via the front end of things, and as a rep, generally our offices are where quotations are generated. So your dealer partner would reach out to you and say, hey, I'm working on said project. I want to get a quotation for a rationale. And we would ask the critical questions about that. How will it fit, number one? How many meals are they doing? What type of cuisine is it? Uh, what type of utility is it? All the things that are kind of pertinent to specifying that product into a, a commercial kitchen. And, and then we would help develop a factory quotation for them based on that. 
Ideally, it would be best if we were able to get that client in with the dealer partner in, in front of the equipment because at that point, the light really goes on. Um, in North America, there's about 15% of any kitchen that has any type of combi oven. Um, blast chillers, the Euronox as an example, it's probably 2% of any type of blast chiller. So there's a lot of growth potential in these uh, areas and so we've keyed in on that and really decided to, to make that our focus. The dealer partner then would sell that product to the said restaurant and then we would work with them to support them after the fact. We would go out and do uh, initial training where we teach them about who to call, what the appliance is, how to turn it on and turn it off. I mean, in a lot of cases, early on with the rationale, and you remember, it was like, how do I even turn this thing on? Um, and then subsequently support that with culinary training, which you were an expert at as well in, in your past role in, in our relationship, and we appreciate the things that we did together. And, um, and then as, as their staff changes or as technology changes or whatever that may be, we become a, a long-term partner with that restaurant. The dealer is long gone onto the next project, and you know we'll be ready to sell their next restaurant when they're ready. But we become the face of the manufacturer in supporting that brand in this market, and we are, we have that long-term relationship with that restaurateur as a result of it. So it's kind of a unique, special place. So the quick best coolest thing about what I get to do in my role is because I get to train chefs, I get to support chefs, I get to be in kitchens every day, you know, where I love and ultimately uh, I uh, feel like we're making a fundamental change in the culinary arts, teaching chefs how to have more time, how to be more energy efficient, how to utilize our natural resources better, how to utilize scheduling better, all these things that make it very difficult for a restaurateur or anyone who's handling food to be successful. We, we believe our tools will really make a, a helpful change and we have lots of, you know, lots and lots of history doing that. So that's kind of an overview. So anyway, well, long rambling story. No, that's great. Um, who, who might people know that you're, that, you know, projects you've done, people you've worked with, who would they be familiar with that Oh, gee, from Chipotle to, I mean, to, I mean, any major brand that's in the Rocky Mountains, uh, you know, uh, locally here, we've been blessed to work with from Cafe Rio, Costa Vida, uh, uh, Zupas, uh, to the University of Utah, all the uh, BYU, all of the key uh, health uh, and university uh, complexes. Um, we've got machines in all the resorts. Uh, uh, we've been very, very blessed in over 20 years of doing this to, to have, I think, a touch in a lot of different areas. Um, so I think the most important thing is everywhere people are, people eat, right? And that's just, we have to. So what we try to do is we try to create a solution based on where you are. I mean, for example, if we're in a daycare, we're not going to have a cooking suite right we're going to have very specific maybe a microwave maybe a stove hopefully they'll listen to us about you know using maybe a combi oven where they can you know proof and break their breads and they can do their french fries in it and they can also overnight cook their 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 meat or whatever that may be uh, to uh, the prison systems I mean where we've got people who are incarcerated who need to be nourished uh, and uh, by the way, for a certain dollar per, if you will, or dollar fifty per meal uh, ration, ration, uh, I can't say that cost ratio that they've got to work with. 
Uh, so in using these tools now they can stretch that and get a better benefit, maybe serve better food as a result of that by using these tools. So that's the idea is from the Utah State Prison to the University of Utah and everyone in between. Wow. So um, where do you see this going in the future? What are some of your goals for the future and what you'd like to accomplish in your business? I'm at a point in my career where I think that we see that the pioneering legwork that we've done for 20 years, I mean, again, you've been a, a real key part of that in early part, you know, in our partnership uh, in the past, which has been fun to work with you, by the way, uh, and I'm glad to share time with you again. Uh, I see that uh, the evolution of technology in kitchens in North America is going to be something that is going to be grasped onto from you know, sous vide cooking, as we were just discussing, and HACCP uh, documenting, because if you don't do that right, you can make someone very sick or kill them, uh, to, uh, again, energy management, uh, all these things that are, that are really cost prohibitive in handling food. I see that we're finally to a point where people are paying attention to that. So it's not really necessarily all missionary work day in and day out. And so now it's refining. And so my hope is that places that would be maybe non-traditional users of technology uh, would be more willing to be schooled, I suppose, and, and have that, you know, that information more valuable to them. Because if we can... Everybody does a little bit, meaning if, if we put in the context of any commercial kitchen, traditional commercial kitchen, in, in, in the morning at 5 o'clock in the morning or when people get there, everything is lit up, everything goes on, and we're starting the utility meters just whizzing around as fast as they can. Utility companies may love that, maybe not, because they're actually offering rebates to put energy-efficient appliances, so they're really, that's probably a bad thing to say. But the truth is, I think that if we can show where we can trim all that, make smaller footprint kitchens, make more energy efficient kitchens, lower carbon waste, lower all these things. I think my impact and my belief in our little step by step by step will, will have found success. The business model is changing. I mean, the internet's changing business models all over the place. Um, I believe that a factory rep uh, becomes more valuable um, to a manufacturer specifically in the uh, online platform day and age because somebody needs to be an expert in a support mechanism in the market for whoever, however that customer, that chef gets that product. And if we can be that resource for the manufacturer, we have a team that you know, we're marketing to people, but we're also training and supporting and schooling people and educating them and continuing that. Um, I believe that the manufacturer's rep role, if it is, it is focused in that area, has a lot of value. The old traditional manufacturer's rep role, which has been in this country, and there's many reps. I mean, most products that are sold in America, excluding you know food service I'm talking about, from lawnmowers to pencils to, I mean, have a sales rep network that they work with to sell their products. However, they sell it, right? So if you looked at the traditional model of a factory rep, I would take people to lunch, and I would you know, bring my catalog and I would share with them why the features and benefits, why they should buy said brand and hope that our relationship and our time together would, you know, equal sales. World's gone way beyond that. And fortunate for us, we never really, we couldn't because we were forced to be different at the time when we started. We never really uh, had that model. 
So we're not really big on lunches. We'll make you lunch, but we don't really buy you lunch. Um, and so I think if, if the rep world wants to have a valuable future, it really comes down to core competencies, knowing your product inside and out, and that comes with hands-on, um, knowing your market, knowing the questions to ask, understanding what is that what is that operator trying to do? What are their struggles? Asking the right questions, listening to what their needs are, and helping them determine what can help them. Because everybody has a different need. That's the reality. Everybody's kitchen, everybody's cuisine, everybody's staff. It may be that I have a, a, a restaurant at 12,000 feet and I've got to figure out how to make my bread bake correctly at 12,000 feet. Well, that's different than I've got to make a dollar fifty, you know, feet a person. So everybody has a different challenge, and so if you listen and, and help to determine what the next step can be, the value of a rep network, I believe, is more credible. If we're just providing kind of me too service, that's less valuable. Mm -hmm. So, so what would you say to somebody who maybe wants to become a rep or wants to go down this road? And, well, let me, before you answer that, is there anything that you would have done different in your journey? And if someone wanted to get, be in your shoes and do what you're doing, what would you suggest? Things that I would have done differently? I mean, reflecting backwards, a corporate job, and I'm at an age now, I probably could have retired if I had stayed in the corporate job. Um, but I'm, my, my DNA is I'm a working fool, so I don't necessarily see myself retiring even at 70. So that's... That it, 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 there's not really a regret. There's only just that. As far as the agency, uh, you know, probably taking a little more risk and hiring more people rapidly. Um, it is a numbers game in, in sales and whatever you're selling. And this is a sales and marketing role. At the end of the day, it's all about selling boxes or, or moving product. And, and when you're in a sales role, you have to be mindful that if you're successful, now you've got to be even more successful next year. So that's the reality check of being involved in a sales role. The upside of that is, I mean, if you're motivated by um, selling product and making commission dollars, and as a, as a general rule of thumb, unless you're a factory, direct factory representative, um, a factory agent is a commission sales agency. So you don't make a dollar until you sell something. And so you always have a, you know, a fire under your fanny to be moving more boxes. Um, but in order to do that, you have to have the relationship and the, all the things that we discussed a moment ago. To, to, you can sell something once, but having that continual relationship is very, very tricky and the most important part of, of being successful as a rep. Um, I would say the people that we've recruited around us and that I've been or been touched by in my career, number one, um, mentoring, you know, good solid young people is a really important thing. I mean, you know this because you do it already in your career, uh, I believe. And I've done a lot of pro start work and met a lot of people and actually had them work with us um, over the years via that um, method. And I, I believe so wholeheartedly in what we're doing in America with the culinary arts. It's just so much investment in that uh, and I believe that particularly in the Rocky Mountain West because we are a, a very recreation oriented market that that will help differentiate us on a global platform when you go to you know Switzerland or you go to Italy and you go to these different uh, areas in, in Europe that are tourism oriented they have Michelin chefs and they have hospitality is taken at a completely different level than it was 
except in very exclusive places in America up until now. So I think that that ProStar program is very important. The thing about being, and I mentioned it earlier, being a, a, a rep is we're in different kitchens and different roles and different functions every day. And so that is the very cool part of it is never, ever, ever a boring day in what we do. The other the part of it that's the hard part is you got to produce something every day. You got to make something. You got to be very, very organized with your time. You have to be very driven with the desire to get up and make something happen in that day and not quit until said things are in place. Uh, and if you have a solid work ethic and you, you enjoy supporting the culinary arts and you enjoy making change, I mean, in, in, in the context of what you do, uh, it's a very, very, very rewarding role. I mean, and I love being a factor rep. I don't, I don't really regret other than, you know, I wish we had had more team members. We made a decision to invest in facilities first, and many people had said, well, invest in people and facilities next. We, we did it a little reverse, and as the market has shifted, uh, that has been a little bit of a difficulty for us, but we're trying to catch up in, in, with qualified, skilled people in real time now. And we believe that our in our world, our competitive advantages and our test kitchens that we control give us it's hard to work, and you've done demos in other people's kitchens in the past. It's not an e easy thing to, to do. From a culinary professional, you there's a lot of extra steps to do that uh, successfully, whereas if it's your own facility, it's your house, you've got your setup, your mise en place is where it's supposed to be, and it makes it a lot more successful. So, no, I, I would highly recommend, and frankly, if you look at uh, the food side of things, the food brokers do a similar thing, just without the technical aspects of food. Their return on investment as a general rule of thumb is, again, moving boxes, but if they convince Cisco or Chipotle or, or Cafe Rio or Costa Vida or whatever chain that, you know, that their cheese is what needs to be bought, they're going to sell lots of cases of cheese until somebody comes along with a better cheese story, right? So it, it's, they have residual sales, whereas in our world, the residual sales every decade as a general rule of thumb, right? That That's a big differential. So uh, you are always having to look for other areas to grow that business, other new operations that are opening. One of the things I think that I have taken a lot of pride in is doing homework. So if we have a, an account that we're, we're targeting, someone we know that we can make a difference, that we, we see either we by having a dining experience there or uh, being involved with uh, a portion of their business with one of our factories because we are a multi-line manufacturing rep agency. We, we represent about 15 different manufacturers, which is small. For a lot of reps will rep you know, up to 50. We, we like to be focused, and that's how we see as one of our strengths is something that we do. But you know, ultimately, um, the, the industry works with brokers in pretty much everything paper, food, chemical, supply and equipment. So there's a role in that uh, middle person in every facet of our industry. Um, and generally every, every facet of, for the most part, has a culinary professional on, on staff that can uh, guide a, a chef in menu development or, or uh, process development or whatever that may be. So, you know, if you're a chef in a kitchen and you need help, a good place to go is that broker for that product because they are, they're the expert of that product. And then you can push back upstream to whoever your channel partner is to buy the product 
but you have samples or you have demos or you have you know whatever again development that's done in advance of your procurement and that way you don't have a buyer's remorse you're not working backwards you're doing your due diligence and frankly everybody that's in our role our, our time is free in the sense that we're not charging as a consultant we're not charging we're 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 doing everything with the anticipation we're going to sell product so you can you can build that relationship not obligated by any means. I mean, other than the handshake, there's no contract uh, as a general rule of thumb and people in our role and use that expertise to help in whatever facet that you need help in, in your operation. And we can't all know all things all the time. There's, you, you gotta learn, you taught me something today. I mean, I, I learn something every day and take pride in that, so. Well, and I think, I think what you hit on is really important because at the end of the day, you're it's selling, you're selling things not necessarily directly but indirectly, and you're doing it through relationships and education more than hard nosed push and taking people to lunch. And I think that's one of the biggest differentiators that I've seen, having worked with rep agencies around the country. That a lot of times when you go out to some of them, it is very oh we're going to stop by so and so and drop off a catalog to this consultant, and we're going to you know take so and so to lunch, but the the differentiator that you have is you bring people in, you sit them down, you feed them, you educate them, and then you're there to support them, you know, many years into the future as as the case. So if someone wants to get a hold of you or come to a demo or, you know, what do you suggest? How do they go about that? We have a couple of different uh, methods. I mean, generally our manufacturers that we represent obviously have a schedule on their website, our website as well. Um, we're just developing our Kitchen of the Future website that we are, are getting off uh, uh, that will tie into Twitter and some other things. So, um, you know, intermountfoodequipment.com is definitely the starting point for any information that you need as far as our manufacturers, our, our demo locations. Um, and we have a mobile demonstration kitchen that we've, uh, you've, you've worked with us and had hornets chasing you. Many times. Many <laughs> times. We, we've taken to from from you know one end of the Rocky Mountains to the other and, and taking the message to where the chefs are at um, and we are developing our fire and ice tour for you know uh, later this summer uh, to do that so stay tuned for that if you're interested and you're in a remote area of the Rocky Mountains specifically we may be in your area uh, later this summer um, and I, I highly uh, recommend that you educate yourself by going to whatever product you're looking to purchase. If it's a commodity product, obviously you don't need to do that. But if you're looking at technology from a POS system to a, a combi oven in the back of the house, invest some time, get your hands on the product. In an hour investment, it could save you hundreds and hundreds of hours of frustration down the line. And that's really the most important takeaway of the time we're sharing together today is there's investments that have been made to have these demo locations to enable you, the consumer or the culinary professional, to have a location where you can get hands-on expertise, bring your product in, do product development. And we take a lot of pride in the fact that the best chefs in Utah, the best chefs in Denver have worked in our facilities and we've helped and supported the best culinary team and culinary kitchens in, in uh, the Rocky Mountains as well. And if you're interested in finding out more about Lee and, and what he's doing over uh, with Intermountain Food Equipment or you want to attend a demo or anything like that, or go find out more about his products and what they're, what they're representing, you can go to intermountainfoodequipment.com and uh, there's a 
information there as well as the ability to uh, email Amanda, his office manager, for times to attend those. And uh, he's just a great guy. So thank thank you to Lee for his time today, and thank you for for listening. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends, family, co-workers, or anyone who's interested in making food and money. And when you get a second, give us a review. It really helps us get the word out as well as letting us know how we're doing. Want to connect with us? Check us out at Make Food, Make Money on Instagram or Facebook. Or email us, info at businesschef.org.